Hello, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're from, good middle of the night, in case you're doing that. Um, it's We're back on for another episode of Ordinary People. Um, and as usual, we have Andrew at the controls. I'm sort of doing something or other. And Neil is back as well. And we have a special guest, Michael Briggs, with us. Um, Neil is going to introduce him. So go ahead, Neil. Thanks. Yes, good stuff. Thanks, Paul. Good to be back on with you and Andrew again, as normal. And uh, honestly, it's such a delight for me to be able to um, introduce our guest this evening. Uh, me and Michael went to school uh, many years ago. Um, there is uh, there is some evidence to show how many years ago that was. Um, but uh, yeah, me and Michael went to school together, and then Michael left for a chill. Um, I think when he was eighteen, we'll find a wee bit more about that. And uh, thankfully, over the last number of years, I've um, managed to to connect with him again a few times. Because as we have heard, uh, two of two episodes out of three, Michael's mum Ruth has been mentioned in glowing terms. Does she get mentioned a lot? Oh yeah. Oh, I'll try. So you're 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 under you're under pressure to to to, to hold up to her sterling reputation here, Michael. I might, so. I might try and take her down a few pegs if that's. <laughs> uh, so so Michael, thank you so much for for agreeing to do this. I know that you're a you're a Man U fan, and um, you're missing them playing in the FA Cup at the minute. Probably let them um, go. But we have, uh, as part of the contract, that we're not allowed to talk about football when, with, with Andrew, so we better move swiftly on. Um, Michael, why don't, you, why don't you, just for a few minutes, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us a wee bit about uh, who you are, early life, um, where you came from. Uh, yeah, so, um, so I am the youngest of three in my family, and uh, we grew up in Castle Gardens. Uh, you were in Castle Gardens as well, Neil. Yes, 42. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, so grew up there. And as you said, moved at 18 to Dublin, um, which was initially meant to be a year out. Hmm. Um, so I did one year out volunteering in a, in a youth centre. Um, and then I just stayed in Dublin <laughs> since then. Uh, now I'm uh, married to one wife, and uh, we have one son who's six, and we're living in Bray, uh, just below Dublin. Um, I currently do two jobs. Um, so I one job I work with Christian Aid, um, as their uh, I suppose I work with supporters and churches all around the country, uh, talking about international development, um, and then. My other job is helping to run a church, uh, which I do with my wife, uh, Belinda. Um, so she does most of the heavy lifting. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I tune in for a few hours and, and do a few bits and pieces there as well. Um, so that keeps us kind of busy. Um, as, yeah. as, as you say, I'm a football fan. Um, I'm a fan of reading. Uh, yeah. I don't know what else you want to know about me. No, that's good. No, thanks for that. Um, I'm sure we'll pick up some uh, bits and pieces as we as we go along. Um, I suppose for 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 my interest too, as much as anybody else's, is uh, you went for you went to Dublin for a year out. What what was it that kept you there? Um, is it bad if I say my wife? No. <laughs> well, uh, actually, no. The the first year I stayed there. Um, we weren't going out at that point. Uh, why did I stay? I think, I think going to Dublin was a bit of fresh air for me, um, yeah. and was a totally different world. Um, and I just loved the the people who I um, who I mixed with, and loved what I was doing. So when I first went down, we were actually um, it was a youth centre, so we did like homework club things like that. We also ran an under 18s nightclub. Uh, no, no alcohol, no um, drugs. Not officially, anyway. Uh, people would try and smuggle <laughs> them in, but um, oh, really? 
so I was I was on the door searching the men or the boys as they came in. I would have to um, search them to make sure they didn't have drugs or alcohol or weapons. Really? Um, and then we would have three or four nights or three or four hours on a Saturday night with about 200 to 300 under 18s in the hall. Um, and that was kind of our main event. And um, yeah, again, I just loved kind of mixing with all the people, getting to know them. Um, and I stayed, I suppose I stayed for that instead for them. Sharp contrast from village life here. It's very sharp, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember my first night uh, helping at the, the nightclub just being, it was a bit like shock and awe because um, the music was so loud. Um, the the young people were barely dressed at all. Um, and um, yeah, it was just nothing like I'd experienced. And then you had fights and, you know, we had the guards on speed dial all the time because wow. um, you were dealing with uh, a lot of fights and violence and, um, and all of that. So you had to get used to being ridiculed and uh, spat on and punched uh, and not being able to retaliate. <laughs> and, My goodness. Um, but it was it was really good. I, I can I can one hundred percent say I would never want to do it again. Um while also saying <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Um yeah. and I'm so glad that I that we did it for, for I think I did it for about eighteen months. Uh, until Very we good. closed our doors on that uh, event. It's, it's funny listening to that because while you're doing that you're 18 down in Dublin and I'm involved in youth work at the same time in Rich Hill and we're getting ourselves getting our knickers in a twist because somebody said the F word <laughs> oh, There was plenty of that yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this earlier actually you've, have you turned 36 yet? I turned 36 I did October yeah yeah so only from the point of view that you've now probably spent more time in dublin than you were than, here in rich hill yes yeah yeah exactly i i did actually think that uh, as that kind of marker came up uh, i was kind of like oh now i've, I've spent just as much time um, and is there any part of here that like be aware that there is people from rich hill listening we hope uh, is there any part of here is any part of rich hill still feels like home yeah, I think Rich Hill feels, I think I get a lot of nostalgia probably. Yeah. And, and it's probably, um, like I love going up. I still call Rich Hill home, so I love going up home. Um, and, um, and yeah, I just love being able to see everywhere. And like I can stand on my parents' front door and just look out at the, at the houses and the fields and just stand there for 20 minutes or more. And just looking perfectly happy. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, I just love uh, all of that. And, and Rich Hill has a lot of good memories for me. Like, I, um, yeah, like, I, I would say I was truly blessed by my upbringing there, by, with family and with friends and, and neighbours and everyone. Um, like, I, I don't have any, uh, nothing to hold against it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, it uh, it does still have a special place for me. Um, I was laughing the other day. My my son now corrects me, so uh, I've been doing his homeschooling, and one of the harder things to do actually is the Irish because I don't have a word uh, of Irish, oh, right. and um, I'm having to homeschool uh, him in, in learning <laughs> Irish. Um, but he's also taken to just correcting my English uh, when I speak. Um, because of my accent <laughs> so so he'll he'll hear a word that i say and he'll be like no 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 that's not the way you say that um, <laughs> sorry correct me so um the accent hasn't fully gone yet although i know when i talk to people from up north they say it's gone oh yeah it definitely but does from down here definitely not gone uh at all <laughs> um we uh i think andrew might have uh, a memory from years back uh you have good memories of primary school don't you <laughs> yeah it's just this uh lovely play that we did <laughs> um you know i saw uh, i saw recently it was around christmas time they were saying that um kids who played joseph 
Uh, yeah, it's a lovely photo. Uh, kids who played Joseph or, or Mary in the in the play in school were destined uh, to to have higher paying jobs. Um, oh really? I wondered, yeah, I wondered whether the same was true of this photograph because you're the you're the owl. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got a lead role there. Um, I'm the pig. <laughs> I still remember my line. Uh, oink. Do you? Oink, oink, I will give you this ring. Um, wow. My nose. Wow. Um, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of drama, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, school was good in Hardy Memorial. There we go. And then where, where did you go after Hardy? So I went to Armagh Royal uh-huh. um, and did my, stayed there to my GCSEs. And then I went to Armagh Tech uh, to A Level. Um, and then from there to, to Dublin, yeah. Very good. Um, yeah, so I'd love, I'd love you to talk a wee bit more, like just talk a wee bit about, about uh, your f- first 18 years there in a bit of a nutshell, I suppose. Okay. Um, just love you to speak a bit more about your, about your career and, and your passions. I'd love you to tell us a wee bit about, um, about Christian Aid. I don't know how many of us down down here will be overly familiar with the work of Christian Aid. Uh, I know you're, that you are passionate about it. It's not just a career for you. So maybe tell us a wee bit about that. Yeah, so I have been in Christian Aid now since 2012. I started in Christian Aid. And actually before that, like I'd, I'd trained as a youth worker um, and got a diploma in youth work. And then I did a degree in theology. Um, and coming out of my theology course, I was trying to wondering what to do. And because um, what do you do a theology degree? I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of pointless. Um, so I um, I eventually applied for a job with um, what was called Irish Aid, um, which is actually the Irish government's overseas development program. So it's the official overseas development program was the, the Irish government and so I applied for a role with them that was basically working with schools um so talking in schools about development and I did that for two years and then the Krishnaid job uh, came up and I, I jumped over and I have to say when I started with Krishnaid I had heard of them but I didn't know a huge amount and I have been impressed while I've been there although like for anyone listening, obviously I'm biased because I work there. Um, but I have been hugely impressed with the way they work. So they're trying to end poverty or, or one of, and there's an awful lot of organizations who, who are doing the same thing and, and we're working together with them. And um, so we work all around the world. And I suppose what I like about Christian Aid is we really focus on systems and laws that keep people in poverty. So trying to overturn or change systems and laws to keep people in poverty. So we've worked a lot with tax, particularly in Ireland, because uh, in Ireland we have a, a dodgy tax system uh, where companies can move their money through uh, without paying much. Um, so we have worked a lot there to try and change the tax laws in Ireland. Um, and we've had, we've had some big successes, even though we're quite small. Um, and... Uh, we would work with uh, gender-based violence as well, um, again, all around the world. So, you know, some of that is, is in other countries helping to mobilize people to change laws or to change the way things are to educate people um, in terms of gender-based violence. I've, I've been blessed to be able to travel with Krishnaid twice. I went to, um, went to Kenya once. Uh, which was I really well I really love Africa, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa in particular. Um, almost feels like a home away from home uh, for me in some ways, and um, that was great. And then I went to India, and and India really had a big impact on me as well. Um, a country that you know in economic terms doesn't look that bad, but the caste system is is just so shocking, um, and the the number of Dalits. Uh, people Dalits being the lowest caste who are just trampled on. So Christian Aid were working there mostly with human rights lawyers uh, to to stand up for Dalit people. Um, because not very many people are. 
uh, standing up for them. So um, it's had a real impact on my life, uh, Christianity, and it, yeah, impacted the way I've, I've kind of thought about development and, and poverty uh, as well. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's Very been, good. Really, been really good. Yeah, two places. That I, it's hard not to be impacted by those places I've visited Kenya and and India. I suppose the challenge for me is like really, really good hearing a bit more about Christian aid and some of your, the reason why you're passionate about that, Michael, because I think sometimes, and it's, it's not exactly what we spoke on last week with the guys, but sometimes we can be guilty of just like arriving into places like that and handing out our food parcels and giving our stuff as a, as a nice gesture, but actually there's not, I don't think, I, maybe just a personal opinion. I just don't think there's enough people like talking about the systems as you're talking about, as you're saying. Um, I was talking to one of our so in Christianity, we work we work around the world, but we work through local partnerships. Um, so we don't employ like people from Ireland to go to Kenya and and yeah. sort something out. Yeah. Rather, it's local people in Kenya who who come up with their ideas. Um, but I was talking to one of our staff in Sierra Leone, so they're from Sierra Leone. Um, and uh, but they were telling me that in one of their villages, uh, they went to visit this project that was being run in the village. And when they arrived, uh, they saw that there was twenty brand new outdoor toilets. Um, and uh, they were like, "Oh, look at these, you know, brand new outdoor toilets." And uh, and they asked them about them, and and the the person in the village said, "Oh, yeah, the this uh, group uh, came from overseas and." And they said they were going to build us toilets, so they built us toilets, and and they were like, oh, that's great. And they were like, yeah, we didn't really need toilets, so we wanted we wanted a barn, but they insisted that they were going to build toilets, so they built toilets. But we just used them as as barns. And she said, <laughs> so she went down all the outdoor toilets and opened the doors, and, and behind each door there was just like seeds and you know the stuff that you would find in a barn, and. Um, but it's a, a, like that's your example, you know, a, a group goes over and decides we're going to build you toilets. The village say, oh, we want a barn, which you could build them, <laughs> um, but you insist on building the toilets that they, they yeah. never need nor want. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That, that sort of stuff happens all the time. Yeah, I suppose from, like, from our point of view, whether it's through drop-in or through Grace Community Church, our heart is always to partner with the people that are on the ground, this idea of just empowering local people is uh, it's incredibly important. It's this was where we think we think it's important because that's what, what Jesus came to do. I think he came to empower people and they seem to always be at the margins with those considered the least. And yeah. So so then a bit more a bit more locally, uh, you're involved in lots of stuff in Dublin and again I know you're passionate about the stuff that's that's going on um in and around you. So like tell us a bit about Urban Junction, Ignite on all that you're involved in. Yeah, um yeah, we have numerous names which get kind of confusing. Uh, Urban <laughs> Junction and Ignite, um they're kind of one and the same thing. Um uh, so when I first came down to Dublin eighteen years ago or whatever, uh to to do the nightclub, uh that that under 18s nightclub has essentially morphed into a church, uh, which is the church that we now uh, run, uh, myself and my wife. Um, it's uh, yeah, like I, I, I love it. Um, it really, yeah, I mean, I know people often talk of church as family, but it really does feel like family to me. Um, and I love the diversity that we have in in terms of backgrounds and you know people from different economic backgrounds and different faith backgrounds um we still have some people who come to our church who tell me they're not christians and have no interest in being christians but um but uh, it seems like a nice place to hang out in the morning or something like that. <laughs> um, which is uh, which is lovely as well and um yeah so i i really love uh, that community um that we have i suppose like my main passion so my main role there is to do with theology. Um, so it's kind of guiding the, the teaching that we do, but it's also guiding um, theology in terms of 
who we are, um, yeah, what we care about, what we're focused on. Um, and yeah, like I'm particularly passionate about theology and increasingly so about kind of public theology. So, you know, being able to hear, as we talk about hearing from people, but to be able to kind of hear voices and let numerous voices from numerous backgrounds all feed in to a conversation, um, which uh, I think is really important. So, like we we have our church Sunday morning thing. Obviously, lockdown has and uh, COVID has changed quite a lot of it. So that happens on Zoom uh, currently. Um, and then we have numerous different groups and and things that that run out of our church as well. So, um, particularly before COVID, we were very focused on being out in communities. Um, so pretty much everyone who came to our church was out doing something during the week uh, somewhere, whether that was at a local prison or university, or uh, we have men's sheds, we have support groups for women going through divorce. We have, you know, various meetings going on in pubs or in, you know, wherever. Um, and, uh, and everyone was kind of involved in that sort of stuff. COVID's changed that a little bit. Um, Although I have to say a lot of people are still finding ways to to figure it out and to do stuff. Um, it's just part of our DNA at this point, part of our culture is to always think outside the building um, and to, to be outside the building. I've been involved then in, I suppose it's my link to theology. Um, like we have a group called Impasse that meet that I'm very passionate about and it's kind of like a Bible study, except we say it's an impasse because we never get to an answer. Um, so um, it's a place where people can share their doubts and their questions without fear that people will think they're backsliding. Um, you can ask any question you want um, and we'll answer it for a while and then we'll question the answers that we've given and we'll, we'll end up in an impasse. Um, and then I've also- Mate, would, you mind, would you mind just pausing it just for a moment? Like, yeah. I know- uh, it's not that you haven't explained it well, but I just am so intrigued by that. I remember you telling me about it a while back. Like, so just just flesh it out a wee bit more, if you could. Like, just what that, just like a typical night, just what that looks like. Um, we always say that. Uh, well, our night always begins with cheese, um, because it's all about cheeses. Um, so, <laughs> so we have, normally when we met in person, we would have just a table covered with cheese, and uh-huh. uh, we begin by eating cheese. Um, and once we had our fill of cheese, um, we we would we would come up with a topic beforehand. So on the topic, you know, sometimes we have read books together. Sometimes we just come up with a topic. You know, we might come up with a topic like um, why blood is important in the Old Testament, or or violence in the Old Testament, or uh, you know something like that. And we basically just sit down, and nobody leads the conversation. Um, People just start to throw out their questions and we just chat. Um, so it's actually, it's very informal and it's very easy. Normally, we we normally meet at like about eight and at about a quarter to, at about a quarter to ten, I'll try to bring a halt to the proceedings, uh, no matter where we are. And, and we pray for each other then just at the end. So we just pray, you know, that whatever we've talked about, that's, you know, uh, essentially, we're praying that we'll be able to live out whatever we've been talking about in some ways or or find the truth that we're looking for. Um, again, it, it comes down to listening to people's opinions and, and valuing their thoughts on theology as well. I um, There's this uh, phrase I've heard before that uh, all theology has an adjective. Um, which is to say that there is no theology that is just pure, that anyone can have. Like I can just hold a pure theology that is untainted um, yeah. because <laughs> it is, it's intimately connected with who I am. So my theology has rich hill running through its blood and it has the fact that I'm white running through its blood and it has the fact that I'm a, a man running through its blood and that I'm, middle class, uh, that all affects the way that I see the world and 
and it does affect the way that I read the text um, and the way that I interact with theology. So, so the best way that I can see then to deal with that um, is to, to be able to talk it out with a diverse group of people, with people who aren't like me, who will look at the same text that I look at and will come at it from a totally different angle and to let them tell me about what that angle looks like. <laughs> um, it's not to say that I don't believe there's any truth. I do believe there's truth. I mean, ultimate truth. I do believe that's there, but I believe we can only really see that, you know, if we get as many angles and viewpoints as we can get, as we can gather, we start to be able to see, okay, you know, what's real and, and what's, what can we maybe leave by the wayside? I mean, take for example, uh, take for example, swearing as as you mentioned at the start there. Uh, so, Excuse uh, me, never said that. Oh, you said that your your I think you said your young people were swearing a lot in Rich Hill. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, my <laughs> ones in Dublin were very nice. Um, <laughs> um, so, take for example, swearing. So, um, I I growing up, I, my parents raised me wonderfully and uh, and I, I so I never really swore much uh, swearing wouldn't be something that I would have done a lot I, I come down to Dublin and I'm doing Bible studies for kids who are swearing every second or third word and they're not doing it to try and agitate me they're not doing mm-hmm. it to annoy me they're just doing it because it's part of their language um, now I would have grown up kind of going oh no swearing's really bad um, you know, perhaps swearing's a sin and we shouldn't do it and we should ask for forgiveness. But then seeing it from their angle, it it, it alters it a little bit because I'm like, okay, well, actually, this is just their, this is just the way they talk. <laughs> and and this is just, you know, where they're from and, 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 you know, where they've been brought up. And it's different to me and it might make me feel uncomfortable, but they can equally look at the text and find stuff and find truths about God and, and explain those, albeit with a few swear words. Um, so, you know, it's that sort of thing that, that maybe changes uh, when you get to see someone else's viewpoint. I think it's a big one for me is, yeah, the kind of male viewpoint, I think, affects me a lot in terms of how I read the Bible. Um, so, yeah, like I love to... to to get that female perspective uh, in terms of what the text says and, and what it means uh, is it's so important to hear. I think especially as a male church leader, it's really important to hear um, the, the female perspective. So. Yeah, I was just like, I love that, Michael. Thank you for that. I Just a couple of quick examples. Uh, that I, I read in a commentary in the Book of Acts recently by by a black theologian, William James Jennings. And it was remarkable, just what you're saying there. It's really cool hearing you saying that because it probably just puts words to like some of the feelings I was having reading through it. Like it was just a perspective on some of this that I would never have never have seen reading it, reading it by myself. And, and I shared it with the guys um, during the week, uh, a guy in the States who's, who has a disability and he's talking through how he sees the banquet table in book 14. And he's bringing stuff out of that as as a as a disabled as a disabled person that like I just never would have seen. And and I just so I'm just like I'm just fascinated by that, by what you're doing down there. And I'm like sometimes I wonder how that would transfer down here, whether it is different down where you are than down here. Because I think we really struggle not to sort of like tie something up, put a bow on it, and like that's that's it. There's there's your answer. You've you've given all your perspectives now. Here comes the man at the front to come and tell you what it all really means. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think that's and if we don't have that, if we're left at the end with no certainty, if there's still doubt, we just like just causes panic. You know what I mean? It's like we, we've no we've no space for any of that. Yeah, I think um I'm so comfortable in grey and <laughs> I find myself really comfortable in doubt as well. Um and uh, I don't know, I, I blame my mum maybe for that. I'll uh, take her down a peg there. Uh, no, <laughs> I have no example. I'll just, uh, I'll just blame her. Um, Any chance to get a dig out of your mum, that's awful. <laughs> see, 
so so I'm I'm super comfortable in in gray and in the the possibility of not knowing and and I'm okay with that. I, like from a scriptural point of view, I'm okay with that because I suppose I don't see why I should know everything. You know, I'll go and read the end of Job uh, and and see how God takes down Job and mm. and outlines how he doesn't have a clue. Um, yeah, and for me, so. I, I do have to live out, obviously, what I believe. And and I suppose that's the important part then, is, is how I live that out, uh, or how I live out my, my faith um, is the important bit, rather mm-hmm. than being able to kind of put a bow on something and, and say this is the exact right answer. Um, like, I, I do the teaching, uh, well, I do the teaching in, in the church. I suppose I lead the teaching in our church. Now, we have, again, because we like to hear a lot of different voices, we have upwards of maybe 12 to 15 people uh, who will all teach um, all different backgrounds again and, and the ages. And, and um, but what I'm constantly saying in our, in our church, and people probably get annoyed with it, is that the talks on a Sunday morning are not the answer. Uh, they are the start of a conversation. Um, so, so the person who does the talk, they put work into it. And I know I do, I do a few of them, and it does take a lot of work, and and you put effort into it, but there's still the chance that I might give a talk on a Sunday morning, and there might be someone sitting listening to me who has a different perspective because they have a different experience, or because they've actually spent an awful lot of time looking at this particular passage uh, over the years, so they have a different views on it. And so what I'm constantly saying is this is a conversation starter. I'll deliver the talk and then we have time at the end of the service to chat about it. I encourage people to chat to family, you know, during the week. We would put stuff up on social media from our church during the week to kind of hint people towards thinking about it again. And it can even just be a conversation in your own head, um, a conversation starter. So I'm essentially saying, yeah, listen to the talk, listen to whoever is speaking and what they have to say. and question it and think about it and and mull it over yeah, yeah. i'm totally stating that every sunday now the boys will hit, get sick of hearing me saying it the talks are not the answer they're the start of the conversation that's really important and so in terms of like in terms of living it out um and uh, i think the language you guys use is small communities or micro churches do you is that the language you use yeah we have uh, again we've jumped around with lots of different uh, language uh, Microchurches has been used in the past, um, and uh, yeah, small communities. I suppose we tried to essentially split our church up into small groups uh, of people who would meet during the week or who would do something um, and uh, gather and uh, would gather in in those ways. Um, They are groups that are. Sometimes they're, you know, they're, they come together just geographically. So it might be a lot of people from one town or one area. Sometimes they, they come together because of interests. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, we have guys who meet together who all play music and they gather to play music together or, or whatever. Um, so there could be a, a similar interest thing. And I suppose we want those groups. Those groups gather together to support each other, yes, but mostly we're looking at those groups to be kind of outward focused. Not in the sense that they're looking for people to um, to to catch and, and make them pray a prayer, um, but in the sense that they're trying to improve wherever they're at, whatever community they're in, they're just trying to make it better. Um, so, yeah, if they're a community group, they may be doing stuff in their neighborhoods to try and bring people together. Um, if they're a group that has a, a certain interest, they might, you know, try and pull in other people into that group just to improve lives. It's not about, I know sometimes when I talk about this in some churches, it can sound like we're avoiding the gospel or something or we're avoiding bringing a message, um, which isn't true. I think we've always kind of said, no, we're be clear about who we are um but it's about kind of realizing that maybe what 
God is doing is bigger than just giving people tickets to go to heaven. Um, maybe what God is doing is a is a redemptive process that involves the whole world uh, and pulls everything back together again. And and if God is doing that redemptive process of of renewing the whole world, and the image we have in Scripture is is not of God's people one day leaving the earth, but we have an image of God coming to the earth. Um, so if, if God is redeeming the whole world, then then perhaps the people who have chosen to to follow Him now are are leading that change as well. Not leading the change, but are aiding, um, working with God alongside God in God to bring about that redemption uh, in local areas and in wherever. Um, so yeah, a lot of those groups, like you, you talked earlier as well about empowering local people, and you know a lot of it is really about doing that as well. It's about empowering local people. It's about empowering people in our church as well, and kind of saying, look, if you want to lead something if you're passionate about something, just go and do it, and and we'll back you. Uh, you know, we'll give you some money if you need some money to start something up. We'll you know, give you space if you need space or, you know, you need resources, we'll be there. If you need training, we'll find training. Um, we'll get training. Um, just go and, and do it. Uh, and it's in that process then that people also grow. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was like, as as we were talking about about that in Kenya and Uganda, I still was hoping that we would bring it round to that is what you guys are doing in Dublin and um, I don't even know if you know, you, you know the tagline on your website but that idea of like in response to God's love for all humanity for all people our hope and desire is to see every part transformed by by Jesus and uh, and some of the language you use um, is, is, is clearly seeing empowering local people for whatever part of society they have any influence over and I think that's it's really good and so it obviously this pandemic has affected has affected us all variant to varying degrees um so could you just speak for a few minutes Michael just on how that's how that's impacted church or just you family whatever uh, just the, the challenges or the highs and the lows of of lockdown yeah, I mean, look, it certainly provided lots of challenges. I think it has provided lots of highs as well for us. Um, I mean, for our church, we've we've still gathered and we still pretty much have, you know, all the people who are normally there um, with us on, on Zoom on Sundays. Um, and a lot of people, as I said before, have just found ways to continue to do stuff. Um, so we're, we have a number of people who are very involved in a project that's called Serve the City in Dublin. Um, it's, a, it's not particularly faith-based, um, but it's an organization that, uh, that goes and serves people all around Dublin. And basically anyone can volunteer with them. Uh, so you can volunteer with them and you might be painting a wall in someone's house or you might be delivering food or um, doing someone's shopping, whatever it is. And so during the uh, the first lockdown uh, or, or back in April, May time, uh, they, were, they were making up, um, I think, about 100, 150 food packages every week and delivering them out to people in the local area. Um, and there was... So there's a lot of people that, from our community that were involved uh, in that in particular. And then people have just found ways to do stuff in their local areas as well. Like we have definitely found in our neighborhood, in our states, like our relationships with our neighbors has improved tenfold mm, yeah. uh, during lockdown, um, during COVID. And um, like we did simple things like we we texted all our neighbors and said do you want to have a coffee on a saturday at mm. three out in your front garden uh so everyone mm. just goes out to their front garden at three on a saturday and we just kind of talk to each other we're distant we're you know we're we're not um sharing cups or you know everyone's just making their own coffee and um, we did back 
in the June bank holiday, we had a we got everyone in our cul-de-sac. We have a little cul-de-sac here of about probably about uh, could be a dozen, um, maybe slightly over a dozen uh, houses. But we got everyone to bring their barbecues out to the front garden, um, and we had a proper barbecue session <laughs> from about three p.m. until I think I came into the house about one a.m. Um, oh, but again, it was just all the neighbours all outside. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then during during Christmas there, my uh, B, uh, my wife and myself uh, helped organise some. We knew some trumpet players, um. So we got some trumpet players to come and play carols, um, just at the at the edge of the estate, um, for just half an hour. Uh, some carols playing in the estate, and then and then off they go. So things like that have been really good in terms of just getting to know neighbours and and hopefully trying to improve their lives a little bit. And and yeah, like I definitely feel like our relationships with all of them are are much improved from where they were beforehand. Not yeah. that they were bad beforehand. Yeah. Um but um yeah, no, we're we're just yeah, we all kinda of know each other now. <laughs> um so yeah, like all of that's been been really good. And I mean it has been definitely it's been hard and definitely within our church you know there's been there's been some of our congregation or our members who have had a really particularly hard time um during covid there's you know there's been a few people who have had um well we haven't had we haven't had any deaths since uh, covid started but we had a couple of deaths just before uh, it started but it's been difficult then for them to deal with the grieving process um without people around them um and then there's been there's been mental health challenges um there's been some significant enough health, mental health challenges and and things like that well i suppose like we've we've been spending years uh dismantling the idea that um that the person at the front will solve all your problems if you call them or or <laughs> with their with their talk on a sunday morning so we've been We've been chipping away at that wall for a long time. So the great thing over this time has been how much everyone just invests. Um, and it's not, I mean, sometimes me and B are doing stuff for people. Yeah, of course we are. And, you know, we're doing as much as we can. But there's so many other people in our congregation who are stepping up to go and call people, to drop packages to people's houses, to, you know, help in any way that they they can. Um, so that's you know that's exactly what I exactly what I want. Yeah, I want I want them to do all the work. So I don't yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Come on. That's that's really good. I, just as I'm listening to you talk about serving the city and and uh, that's a, that's that's a thread that, that that's definitely been picked up with a few people. Just that idea of like a better, um, more significant relationships with neighbours. It just leads me on, Michael, just to the last few minutes of uh, the risk of sounding like a stalker. I've listened to you a few times now that uh, a podcast you did, I think it must have been, it must have been last year, and um, I used this line in the middle of it talking about Jeremiah 29, either, that, either we prosper together or not at all. Yeah. And yeah. So that, 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 line, that line has just stuck with me, and it's like really, I really find that that interest and it's probably one of those things that I throw out and say like this don't have any answers but like let's talk about this this conversation starter so uh lead on a wee bit lead the conversation on a wee bit for us yeah that was actually it was uh so so when when COVID all hit I tell you where I was um I was on holiday in Portugal in in Lisbon um so uh, me and B and uh, Nathan headed off to Portugal I think just before. St. Patrick's Day, and um, so we were in Lisbon watching the Taoiseach close the country down, um, kind of wondering whether we should uh, rebook our flights to get home, and um, we, anyway, we got home eventually, and uh, the talk on Jeremiah 29 was the, that was the first one I did then at the start of our kind of lockdown, um, and I chose it in particular because Jeremiah 29 is that famous, I know the plans I have for you the cards the lowered pants to uh, help you prosper etc etc a uh, very famous um 
verse that that people often quote and often quote in difficult times. And so I wanted to say that to everyone, but to also say in the context of Jeremiah 29, the people who God is speaking to here are being brought into slavery. They've been captive. And God is saying, I know the plans I have for you, plans to, to help you prosper, but he's also going to tell them that they are going to be slaves for the next two, three generations. So the people who he's even talking to are not going to find freedom, um, not in their lifetime. It's going to be their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. Um, and it felt appropriate to talk about that at the start of COVID because we didn't know where all this was going. And, and I didn't want to stand up in front of everyone and say, here, it's all going to be fine. God's going to help us to prosper. But what I wanted to say was that, yeah, God is redeeming the world. And, and we believe that. And no matter what that means for us in the next year, and whether some of us, you know, we have healthcare workers in our congregation and, you know, you're saying, okay, you're going to, you might go through hell for the next few months, few years, who knows. Um, but we can hold on to the fact that God is redeeming. Um, and so a part of a part of them, what Jeremiah goes on to, to say, or, or God goes on to say to the people in, in Jeremiah, is that um, they will prosper if they help the Babylonians to prosper, uh, the Babylonians who have taken them captive and are now treating them as, as slaves, uh, God says to them, oh, actually, if, if these guys who took you captive prosper, uh, you'll prosper as well. Um, and, and again, that kind of linked into COVID because at the start of all this, it became very clear that, um, that in a sense, no, like none of us had any real protection <laughs> you know we didn't know where the virus was or how it would affect us or who it would affect and when now obviously there are not bringing my christian aid stuff <laughs> obviously you know we might say that we're we're all in the in in the cmc but some of us are in better boats um so obviously some of us have better protection uh, than others um but there was a sense in which we all have to prosper together at the start of this um and i think that still exists you know covid's always going to be here unless unless we solve it for everyone um and, and maybe as long as it's here it's always going to be a problem uh which means even as the 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 western countries buy up all the vaccines and, and vaccinate all their people and um, the poorer countries who don't get any vaccines um you know it it may actually become a problem for the Western countries again, uh, doesn't automatically solve it. Um, and and there's a sense in which actually we all need to prosper. We all need to look out for each other. Um, and and that goes beyond even our own church. Yeah, I mean, in our church, we want to look out for each other. But, uh, you know, let's look after our neighbourhoods. Let's look after our, our you know, our, our Muslim neighbours and our, um, our, our, humanist neighbors and our buddhist neighbors or whoever you know let's let's actually say actually we are we're all you know going to look after each other um and we're not going to favor uh just christians um and yeah yeah so that was it's been i suppose it's been something that you know off the back of that we have really kind of gone down that line as a church then you know we've kind of as i said with a lot of the other thing that we're doing, you know, we are very focused on on the people outside our building. Um, I remember before before COVID, when we were still in the building, we had talked about uh, putting some uh, like an inscription up above our door, uh, saying uh, you are now entering the place of worship. But we wanted it on the inside, um, so as you're walking out the door, above the door, it says you're now entering the place of worship. Um, because we worship outside our building um, and we worship by by sacrificially loving our neighbours. Um, and so that's what we're kind of encouraging people to do all the time. Yeah, we'll stay that. We'll stay that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you get into your building and paint it above your door. Above your <laughs> <building>. <laughs> yeah, 
I, ju- I, I just finally on that on that talk, I, I'd listened to you at the same time that Andrew's Andrew's wife Lila had spoke to to our church family, cracking message a number of weeks back. Um, but but you use similar language when you said that God God's not calling us to escapism, but He's rather to ref- to find resilience in the midst of the trial. And the best best growth comes through uh, comes from persevering through the trials, not escaping from them. And I find that really helpful, Michael, because sometimes you can find yourself around uh, sort of charismatic. Sometimes get a get a wee bit too triumphalist for me. Sometimes it's awful to say that maybe, but like we're so much about like getting over this, getting through this, overcomers, revive all of that. We're, like we're so. It's almost like we're fear just like going through this and persevering through this together. And and so that idea of like God's not calling us to escape the same way that you were taking that from Jeremiah 29, not calling us to escape, but rather to find resilience in the midst of the trial. And so I think that's a really good word for where we're at at the minute. There's a, there's a quote that's been rattling around my head for a while um, from a, it's a, a Bulgarian writer called Maria Popova, um, and uh, she says that uh, critical thinking without hope is cynicism, and hope without critical thinking is naivety. And um, I really like that line. Um, so, you know, like often in, in Christian churches, obviously we talk about hope, and hope is something that we have to offer the world, um, but our hope should not be detached from reality um, and our hope should not be void uh, of, of critical thinking because then it just becomes naivety and um, you know we just uh, we we skip through the meadow um, and um, and but equally kind of seeing that that actually hope is really important to, to the world around us and that critical thinking without hope just becomes cynicism um, and like it's been a, I mean, COVID's been a challenge. We have also in in Ireland, like there's a, and I don't know what it's like in in Northern Ireland, but there's a, the constant relationship of of church and state, um, is a a, a struggle, a, not in terms of there being much of a relationship now, but um, but in terms of what has been in the past. And recently there was the report on the mother and baby homes, which is just absolutely shocking um, to read and um, there is a sense in which I think the churches in Ireland need to be able to to look at that reality and not ignore it um, and and we need to confess and, and seek forgiveness uh, of, of the people um, for, for what has happened uh, there and so there's that constant struggle of of kind of yeah talking about hope and but also kind of going well this is the reality of where we are, um and we can't ignore that or 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 just apart from it, um, and again it comes down to what we believe God is doing, and if God isn't just providing an escape route, um, and but that God is actually redeeming the world, then we need to be in the world. <laughs> Um, and and we need to be next to our neighbours, and and we need to hear the cries of the 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 poor, and the, we need to hear the cries of the minority groups. Um, I mean, I'm constantly saying that one of my biggest annoyances of the church is that the the time when I normally hear the church speak out on a public forum is when it seems like their rights are being taken away or challenged. Um, I rarely hear the church speak out on a, a major public forum for the minority or, or for the group who's being trampled on. or um, And that, that annoys me because that is what the church should be doing. Uh, the church should be knowing who the minorities are, um, hearing their voices and, uh, and, and pointing everyone to listen to them. Very good. You remind me of, I listened to, I'd really recommend a, um, a conversation between Bruxy Cavey and Andy Stanley. And this, the, the conversation went very wide, but 
like Andy Stanley said, pretty much just what you've said, different language, just like once once the church makes it, puts themselves in a posture of winning, we've lost. And like he, he was really vocal then about all the places we've tried to find ourselves in a posture of power. And whenever you do that with the church, we've lost. And that's what we see in America, perhaps at the minute. And, uh, and that's what we, that's what we've seen in Ireland in the past, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the, the church in Ireland was at the top table uh, in terms of power and, and it abused that power um, and it abused it so that it could stay in power. Um, you know, it, it, it used whatever might it had to, to stay at the top table. And, uh, and actually, you know what, praise Jesus that uh, it's been knocked off the top table and, <laughs> and, and, and thank God that it's not there. Um, because yeah. the, the church should never be seeking the... Good word. Um, in fact, two, two more quick questions for me. Just, just when you've talked about hope, Michael, what... Is there any sort of concrete or aspirational hopes that you have for your community and for what's going on in and around you? Uh, oh, we would, I mean, we do dearly hope to be able to actually meet together in the same room uh, sometime. Um, that would be, uh, that would be uh, just lovely. Um, no, I mean, uh, like my hope is, is constantly just to get people thinking about their faith and, uh, and, and, doing their best to live out what they know and, and what they can now. So, um, yeah, it's constantly just about pushing people to that place. And finally, this is really important. Is there anything that you're watching, reading or listening to that you would highly recommend that we must uh, engage with? Oh, I um I do read a lot. Uh, so, like, I normally read about four or five books at the same time um so uh and actually since uh, since since march i started reading poetry um and i've never read poetry much before um but actually it was a guy i don't know if you know him Podrick Otuma. um he's um he's a cork man based in belfast still and um he writes poetry he has a podcast called uh it's called a uh, Oh, it's it's done with on being, yeah. It's called Poetry Unbound podcast, and it's little ten minute reflections of a with a poem, um, that are just wonderful. So I've been listening to them, and then I've started reading poetry, and um, and just loving it. Uh, Mary Oliver in particular, um, I don't know what I did with my life before uh, Mary Oliver, <laughs> um, and. Uh, yeah, reading and, and watching, I suppose, like a lot of what I, I actually have, a, I love dark humour, so uh, I'm, uh, in particular, that's where I, I love, so, you know, stuff like Catch-22 would be maybe one of my favourite books ever, because uh, I love the humour there. We just recently watched a, a series on Netflix called Back to Life, uh, that, that was very good, uh, okay. nice little six episode, 20 minutes Perfect. long, two hours. Oh. <laughs> um, Brilliant. And it's, it's about a woman who has uh, been in prison for murder, <clears throat> and then she's returning to her small village um, as a as a convicted murderer. And it's a, so it's a comedy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it's very good. Um, and uh, and listening, I I've been listening to. I have to confess, I don't often listen to Christian music at all. Um, except when I'm in church, uh, <laughs> and um, but I have been listening to a band called The Brilliance, um, who are wonderful, uh, and um, yeah, they they certainly are uh, are Christian leaning anyway. Not the type of songs that you would be singing in church, um, but uh, yeah, no, they're fantastic music. So I recommend Brilliance to you as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Ordinary People was hosted by Neil Dawson. It was produced, edited and engineered by Andrew Griffin and Paul Woods. Head over to OrdinaryPodcast.com for show notes, links, previous episodes and all the ways you can contact the show. See you next time.